You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Amen. Hallelujah. It's awesome to worship with you this morning. Amen. So if you're a visitor or guest with us this morning, we're glad that you're um, here. And um, just uh, invite you to make yourself at home and uh, let the Lord speak to you because I know he wants to do that. Um, a few years ago, I had an experience where I went out of town and I uh, had um, kind of researched a little bit on the Internet about some churches that were in this uh, uh, city that I was going to. Uh, and there was one in particular that they had a pastor there that I really wanted to meet. Um, and I went, you know, to church that morning. It was a big church, so that should have been a tip-off to me. And uh, he didn't actually come into the sanctuary until it was time for him to preach. And then as soon as he was done preaching, he stepped down from the pulpit, and somebody else came and took over, and I never got a chance to meet him. So I don't know if it was designed that way or not, but I thought it was a little bit uh, unfortunate. Uh, but I, I want you to know, if you're new here, I'm not like that. I would love to meet you. If you have somehow found me on the Internet or found TCF on the internet, and you would like to, uh, to meet me. Um, if you're looking for a place to worship, you know, knowing the pastor, I think is a really big part of that. Um, and all that to say that I'm not in a big hurry after church. Um, even if there's some people that are talking to me or somebody that I'm praying with, um, please be patient, wait for a second, because I would love to meet you um, and just get to know you a little bit and welcome you personally. I trust that this group of people has already welcomed you because um, I know that they are, you know, a very warm and, and loving uh, group of people. Um, but if you want to meet me, please hang around because I'd love to meet you, okay? Um, so we're going to let the kids go after we pray for them. So, uh, Jay, do you want to you pray for the kids this morning? Do you mind doing that? This is a good deal. All right. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just for your goodness to us this morning, Lord. We've already uh, experienced your presence and just so grateful and humbled, Lord, that you uh, choose to hang out with us and, and be around us, be in us, be with us, uh, care about us. And we're just so thankful for that this morning. We pray, Lord, as our, as our kids go back to, uh, to the education building and they are working on uh, our uh, Christmas program that's coming up. Just uh, thank you, Lord, first for the, the hard work from, from Susan and Tinder and all the folks that have put in time to prepare uh, what we're going to be seeing here in a few weeks. And then uh, I just pray, God, as they're singing the songs and as they're learning the, the, the different motions and everything that goes into to a, to a Christmas program, that it wouldn't just be uh, songs that they're learning, Lord, but there would be truths that are being buried in their hearts, Lord, yes. uh, as they grow and as they um, become uh, young adults and then uh, parents and grandparents and all those things, Lord, that they'll, that they'll have things that have been placed in them this morning, Lord, that they'll be able to draw from and, and they'll be able to impart to their kids and to their grandkids, Lord, and that your gospel would just continue to carry on years and years and years uh, beyond us. And we just thank you for the seeds that are going to be planted this morning, Lord, and we just pray for a great harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jay. Okay, the kids can go to children's ministry.
We're continuing a series uh, that I have titled uh, "Lighter of the World," and it's uh, it's really a season that we're in, not just a uh, not just a series. Um, it's a series of series. Um, but the point is, is that Jesus told us uh, that we're the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And the season that I feel like that um, the Lord has us in right now um, is opening up our eyes, you know, and just being aware of what's going on ar- around us. Uh, in the military, they have a uh, term called um, situational awareness, uh, and that's just not just having your eyes on your feet and the th- stuff that's immediately ahead of you, but just be looking around. Just have your head up, have your eyes, you know, going, uh, uh, you know, to the, to the situation that's around you. Be aware of the situation that's around you, not just your own little cocoon. Um, and uh, I believe that that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to love our city. He wants us to love our region. He wants us to find practical ways um, to, uh, to love and to serve and to bring the gospel um, to, the, uh, to the city that we're in. Um, last week, we, um, we talked about uh, the theology of, uh, of exile, and we talked about um, Israel's exile in Babylon, and how that was a very unique um, uh, time. Uh, there's not very many uh, instances of people going into captivity that did not believe that their God had failed them. That Israel went into captivity fully knowing that that was God sending them into captivity. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that had conquered them. It was God who was disciplining them and, uh, and, and, um, and bringing them to a place of brokenness um, so that he could restore their relationship with him. And you know, they were there for 70 years, so that indicates that there was a lot to be broken. I mean, they only spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering around. They spent almost twice that uh, in Babylon to break something that God wanted uh, broken in there. In a way, you could look at it and say that they were in worse shape when, when they went into Babylon than they were when they came out of Egypt, out of bondage, um, out of uh, a foreign land that God had delivered them out of. And he did deliver them, and he did do a deep work in their hearts. And it wasn't a finished work, but it was a big step forward um, for them. And part of that was the the result of the attitude that they had when they were there. Daniel is a good example of that. Um, uh, uh, Nehemiah is a good example of that. Uh, Jeremiah uh, and several others um, who were faithful to God and submitted themselves to this exile and prospered Babylon while they were there and shared the gospel in a really powerful way. We also talked about Joseph in Egypt, same principle, that Joseph was in Egypt, but he didn't believe that, you know, that that something had, in him had failed. He believed that he was sent. He was in a foreign land and he was sent. Jonah in Nineveh, even though he kicked and screamed, you know, the whole way getting into it, um, he knew that it was God that had sent him there. And in the same way we are sent, amen, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he he gave us instructions, some enough instructions for us to know what to do. But he also gave us the Holy Spirit to listen to and to be led by. And so we're, we're sent. We are in this city, and we are to pray for this city, and we are to work for the prosperity of this city. We are to work to prosper ourselves in the city so that the city might prosper. So that the, when I, when I um, uh, plant vineyards, as it were, when I go to work, Um, As it were, when I raise my family, um, all of these things benefit the city, but I'm also called um, to be vitally involved in the city. This morning, I want to talk about uh, Jesus' 
um, uh, command to his disciples. And what he says to them in Acts chapter, I mean in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. A couple of things I want you to notice from this. Now we're going to be looking at the story of um, Paul uh, in Philippi and the founding of the Philippian church and how that came about um, and all the things that were involved in that and how that is kind of a pattern for us in, getting, in establishing uh, what God wants to do um, in Tyler. Um, so a couple of things I want you to notice from this verse. First of all, um, Jesus says to them, Behold, I am sending you. Okay? The part about the sheep in the midst of wolves is pretty scary. But you got to start with this. He is sending us. Now, sheep are not, they don't have a whole lot of natural defenses. I guess they could kick you, but they usually don't. And I guess they could bite if it was, if you like put something in their mouth and they clump, clump down on it. But they're not, they're not offensive animals. They're not predators, okay? And there are no feral sheep, meaning there are no wild sheep. You know why? Because they don't last. Because if there are any kind of predators out there, even a predator half the size of a sheep is going to make breakfast out of a sheep. So there's no, there's no sheep out there uh, that are kind of like on their own robed sheep, you know, biker sheep um, that are out there, you know, kind of uh, wearing their black, you know, their leathers and, and stuff like that. They're just not, that, that's not their nature whatsoever. So this seems like um, something that um, makes them um, seem very... Um, uh, very vulnerable. But Jesus gives us um, some, uh, some instructions that are really good instructions. He says, to be, um, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents is um, the, the wise there uh, can mean um, like, um, what do I got in my notes here? Wise can be translated or uh, can be understood to be um, like uh, sly, um, canny. Um, uh, looking for opportunities. Um, he's sending us out under his authority to love our city, and he's telling us ahead of time that there are people out there that are dangerous, but he says, you don't be naive. The opposite of wise as serpents is naive. And a lot of people look at us, and they look at our lifestyles, and we're just like, we just trust God, and they're like, man, you are so, you know, you are so naive. You don't know how the world works. Jesus is saying, be worldly wise, okay? Understand how the world works, but don't use it the way that the world uses it. Use it for the kingdom of God. And then the second one he says is, be innocent as doves. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate was like trying to reason with him, with all that he could possibly reason with him. And he was like, you're not giving me any answers here, you know? And Jesus is just like, you know, silent before him. But Pilate knew when he looked at Jesus that Jesus was not a threat. He was innocent as a dove. Pilate had no reason to put him to death politically. The only reason why he put him to death is because the crowd called out for him. But Jesus, that's a perfect example of being innocent as a dove, not a threat. We don't come as a, like a, a, a threat to, um, uh, to threaten people, but we are in many, many ways the epitome of God's presence in the earth, and that many people find that to be threatening. So Jesus is telling us ahead of time, 
you know, what uh, we're going to be facing uh, and how to face it. And so, I, like I said, I wanted to uh, use um, Paul's um, uh, time in Philippi um, as an example. And I'm going to read um, this section of Scripture. I've thought about several different ways to do this, um, but the easiest way that I can think of to do it is read the whole story and then go back and um, talk about it. First of all, how many people are familiar with the story of Paul's time in Philippi? Just give me a, like a show of hands. If you've been in church for any length of time, chances are that you've heard the story and you're, you're familiar with it. And I know that we taught on this um, not too long ago, about a month ago, um, and uh, from a different you know, perspective. So uh, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, this is uh, Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 9 through 40. And it begins before they get to Philippi. It says, that night Paul had a dream. A Macedonian stood on the far shore and called across the sea, come over to Macedonia and help us. And the dream gave Paul his map. We went to work at, at once, getting things ready to cross over to Macedonia. All the pieces had come together. We knew now for sure. This is the message, by the way. If you're, I'm reading it in the narrative form, and then we'll go back and look at it in the ESV, which is more of a um, suited to study. But this is just uh, kind of a narrative. If you want to just listen, that's fine. Um, all the pieces had come together. We knew now for sure that God had called us to preach the good news to the Europeans. Putting out from the harbor at Troas, we made a straight run for, uh, for Samothrace. Uh, the next day, we, uh, we tied up at New City. We walked from there to Philippi, the main city in that part of Macedonia, and even more importantly, a Roman colony. We lingered there for several days. On the Sabbath, we left the city and went down along the river where we had heard that there would be a prayer meeting. We took our place with the women who had gathered there and talked with them. One woman, Lydia, was from Thyatira, and a dealer in expensive textiles, uh, she's a seller of purple, uh, known to be a God-fearing woman. As she listened with intensity to what was being said, God gave her a trusting heart, and she believed. After that, she was baptized along with everyone in her household, and she said it with a surge of hospitality, if you're confidently, confident that I'm in this with you and believe in the Master truly, come home with me and be my guest. We hesitated, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. One day on our way to, a, to the place of prayer, a slave girl ran into us, and she was a psychic, and she had, with, uh, with her fortune-telling, she made a lot of money for the people who owned her. She started following Paul around, calling everyone's attention to us, and yelling out, these men are working for the Most High God. They are laying out the road of salvation for you. And she did this for a number of days until Paul, finally fed up with her, turned and commanded the spirit that possessed her, out! In the name of Jesus Christ, get out of her. And it was gone, just like that. When her owners saw that their lucrative little business was suddenly bankrupt, they went after Paul and Silas. They roughed them up, they dragged them into the market square, and then the police arrested them and pulled them into a court with the accusation, these men are disturbing the peace, dangerous Jewish agitators subverting our Roman law and order. By this time, the crowd had turned into a restless mob uh, out for blood. The judges went along with the mob, had Paul and Silas's clothes ripped off, and ordered a public beating. And after beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailkeeper to put them under heavy guard so there would be no chance of escape. And he did just that. He threw them into the maximum security cell in the jail and clamped leg irons on them. Long about midnight... 
Paul and Silas were in prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then, without warning, a huge earthquake, and the jailhouse tottered. Every door flew open. All the prisoners were loose. Startled from sheep, startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was as good as dead anyway. Then Paul stopped him. Don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away. The jailer got a touch, got a torch, and ran outside. Sorry, guys. No one laughed. Quiet. To yourself. So the, the jailer got a torch and ran inside. Badly shaken, he collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved, to really live? And they said, put your entire trust in the Master, Jesus, and then you'll live as you were meant to live and everyone in your house included. They went on to spell out in detail the story of the Master. The entire family got in on this part. They never did get to bed that night. The jailer made them feel at home, dressed their wounds, and then he couldn't wait till morning. He was baptized. He and everyone in his family. There in his home, he had, he had set food out for a festive meal. It was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in the house was in on the celebration. At daybreak, the court judges sent officers with the instructions, release these men. The jailer gave Paul the message. The judges sent word that you're free to go your way. Congratulations. Go in peace. But Paul wouldn't budge. He told the officers, they beat us up in public and threw us in jail. Roman citizens in good standing, and now they want us to get out of the way on the sly without anyone knowing, nothing doing. If they want us out of here, let them come themselves and lead us out in broad daylight. And when the officers reported this, the judges panicked. They had no idea that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They hurried over and apologized, personally escorted them from the jail, and then asked them if they wouldn't please leave the city. Walking out of the jail, Paul and Silas went straight to Lydia's house, saw their friends again, encouraged them in the faith, and only then went on their way. There's a lot in this story that, is, uh, that I think parallels um, what we are called um, to do uh, uh, to reach um, people in our city, and especially in light of the fact that Jesus said that we are sheep uh, among wolves. And here we go. Give me the next one, Rob, or somebody. Next. Here we go. So this is uh, kind of the outline that I'm, I'm working off of. Um, first of all is the beginning, the beginning, and that's with Lydia, and that's uh, verses 9 through 15. And then the second is the daily routine. Um, and the servant girl, and that's uh, 6, 16, I mean, 16, 16 through 18, and then the God moment when they got arrested, uh, Acts 16, uh, 19 through 24, then salvation comes to the family, the Philippian jailer, uh, Acts 16, 19 through 34, and then the kingdom of God is established, confronting the authorities, Acts 16, 35 through 40, and I'm moving fast, um, and so, uh, you know, listen fast. Um, so the first, 
first thing that we had was the, uh, the Macedonian um, vision. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I probably do need to, but I can do it. I can make this. It's, uh, I'm thrown off because uh, our printer does two-sided copying, and I am never looking for anything on the back side of a piece of paper. So, so the first is the beginning. Um, this is uh, Paul coming to, and we, we saw uh, the Macedonian vision. Um, some, a little caveat about that is that when Paul is called, um, the, the next verse says, and immediately we endeavored to go. If you see, you see that in, uh, in, uh, uh, in your Bible, if you're reading it, um, that's the first time that Luke actually personally appears in the story. This is 16 chapters in, and Luke never mentions himself. But when Paul has the Macedonian vision, he has the vision, and Luke says immediately we endeavored to go. So it was a call not just to Paul, but to all of them. They all recognized that. If Paul was called and they were with him, then they were all called um, to this. A little bit of background now. This is the second missionary journey for Paul. Paul has already been on one very eventful missionary journey. That's where he got stoned um, and, uh, and uh, left for dead uh, and got up and walked back into the city. Um, he had, when they first went into that city, they had proclaimed them as gods. And then by the time they left that city, they left bruised and battered because they had stoned them. Now, that's the way it turns around. That's the way how public, I mean, popular opinion can change on you. And it's not anything you can ever base um, your call or your ministry or your life on, okay? But he had been through a lot. He had been through just a, a, a really, um, uh, it was a big ordeal. Uh, and then uh, just a couple of years later, he turned right around and went back out on a second missionary journey. And he revisited some of those places. And then he wound up on the border of, uh, of Asia and, uh, and Europe. And that's when he had the vision. Macedonia is in Europe, and that's when he had the vision that God said, you know, he was opening a door there that there were people in Macedonia that needed um, to hear the gospel. He saw a Macedonian man say, come over and help us. I don't know if that was the Philippian jailer uh, or if it was just some member of that church or somebody else or maybe just representing people. But immediately they endeavored to go. And when they went, they went uh, to the port, and then they went to the big city. And the big city was a Roman city. And Paul is, is, is a Roman citizen. Um, and so they go to, to this city. And then the first thing that they did is they, they heard that there was a prayer group uh, down at the river that prayed uh, on, uh, on, the, on, on the Sabbath. And so they went down there and they began to meet people. Um, one thing I want to uh, point out to you um, is that um, it says that uh, Lydia, um, they met Lydia and she was a worshiper. But she's not a, a full-fledged believer yet. She's just somebody that cares about God, loves God to some extent, and wants to do what, what's right. But she's still in darkness, okay? And it said that as Paul shared the gospel with her, God opened her heart. I want to just encourage you to pray like that. I just, I just encourage you that, that before we do anything, pray that God would do what God does that he would open people's heart. See, Jesus said, I'm sending you out two by two, and he gave them instructions, and he says, don't take any you know, extra money, don't take any extra you know, clothes, don't take anything extra. You go out, and I will open the door for you. And when you come into a city, you find somebody who is, a, um, who is, is open to the gospel, and you stay with them. Jesus is, is foretelling this exact thing. In Africa, when we 
um, established churches with site.org. We're always looking for, what do we call it, a person of peace? We're always looking for a person of peace in a village. And those are the ones that we immediately make contact with. Those are the ones that we're going to share like the the Audible Bible uh, with um, so that they will have a leadership role in that community. We're looking for people that are faithful, and that's who, who Lydia is here. Now, she's a woman, and this is unconventional maybe for the world, but it's not unconventional for the church. God is always looking for faithful people. And they found Lydia. She is a, she's a successful merchant. Um, she's probably uh, wealthy. Um, she has her own home, and she invites Paul and Silas to do what Jesus said. When you go into a city, you look for somebody that will welcome you, and you stay with that person. And that's what Paul and Silas were doing. So they're starting after their first missionary journey. They know what they're looking for when they come into a city. If they're going to be effective in what God has called them to do, they need to find a faithful group of people. They need to establish a church. They need to establish a strong footprint, a a strong foundation upon which they can build. Next comes the daily routine. So after they had established this, after Lydia has been baptized, then Paul and Silas have a daily routine. They're going to prayer, and they're coming back home. And they're going through the city. And as they're going through the city, they're open to opportunities, situational awareness. You see, they're looking for opportunities. They're looking for chances to to share the gospel. That's what we need to be doing. If you're you're thinking, like, this is your religious experience, this is such a small part of everything that God has for you. When you get out in, you know, Monday morning traffic in the morning, that's the same thing. Paul is always looking for opportunities everywhere he's going, places that you go, wherever you go to eat lunch. You know, wherever you go to, out to, to, eat, um, to eat lunch or dinner, all of these opportunities are places that you're going. So Paul and um, Silas are going on a da- their daily walk um, through, the, through the town, and uh, they start hearing this little voice. And this little voice is saying, these men are messengers of the Most High God. They're going to show you the way of salvation. That sounds so good. I wonder how many of us would have enough discernment to know that that is not God. It's not the words that she's saying. It's the spirit that is moving her to say those words. And listen, that takes discernment. And that's the reason why we teach the gifts of the spirit, why it is so important for every believer to be familiar with and also be walking in and practicing the gifts of the spirit. Are you with me? Okay, I'm going to be like David now. Come on now, are you with me? These gifts of the Spirit are not just novelties for us to say, oh, that was cool. This is, this is the, the tools that we need to share the gospel. And if you're, if you're not with me, if you're like thinking, well, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm interested in all of that stuff, listen to me. You may be thinking of the crazy things that you've seen under the guise of the, um, the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the practical daily now and now that every Orthodox believer believes in, is that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and He is active in our lives. Okay? Now that's cost you about two minutes because I had to go back and explain it to you. Okay? I don't mind doing that, but that's not going to count against my total time. How many of us would recognize that? Paul recognized that that was the Spirit. She said, these men are going to show you the way of salvation, and that is true. But she is a slave girl that is being abused and used by her masters. 
And you can see from their reaction when this little girl has this demon cast out of her, their reaction, you can imagine what was going on behind closed doors uh, in this woman's life, in this poor girl's life. And our society uses weak people and vulnerable people, including young girls and including children. Now, these people never reacted at all when Paul was preaching the gospel down by the river. But when it starts touching their money, you see the fire come out. When it starts touching their livelihood, and listen, you may be like this too to some degree. I'm just suggesting to you. If if you've ever used the phrase, it's just business, when you're treating somebody in a cold and merciless way, you ought to examine your heart because that may be exactly what it is, is that money is ruling there and your livelihood is ruling there. And it's, no, it's, no, it's not fun and games anymore when somebody is threatening your precious money. And make no mistake about it, that's what leads to the next, the next scene. And this is a God moment. And again, I don't know that we would all recognize this as the God moment, but Paul has been around the barn a few times, and he has been the subject of violence, and he has seen what happens when violence breaks out and when God shows himself mightily. Jesus said, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now listen, a sheep has no chance among wolves unless he's got something. What? A shepherd. And I'm talking about a kick-butt shepherd. I'm talking about a shepherd that knows how to use the staff. He knows how to lead his sheep with gentleness, but he knows how to confront those wolves with something that'll turn them back and make them sit up for a second and say, I better not mess with those sheep, not because the sheep are are ferocious, but because the shepherd is aware of what's going on and will fight on behalf of his sheep. And that's where this happens. So this is, a, this is a corrupt system. And as we go out, we recognize that the government, God, Paul tells us to submit ourselves to the government, but that does not mean in all things to compromise ourselves. There are some things that our government does that are good, and there are some things that our government does as a result of corruption. And those things should be confronted. Those things should be confronted. This little girl was being used for financial gain. And her owners were rich and had great influence in the city. And so they think that they're going to take these, way, these wandering Jews and they're going to abuse them any way that they want to. So they beat them up, and then they bring them to the court, and the court beats them and throws them in jail. Jesus said, the, the king, the, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent people take it by force. There's two ways to see that, Okay. And the first way to see it is maybe the most obvious way, and that's that, you know, men like this treat us any way they want to, and they think they can get away with it. But when I was being discipled, I learned it a different way. And the way that I was taught is that the kingdom of, of heaven suffers violence. It means that I must be violent if I am going to press into the kingdom of God. I've got to be radical. I can't be comfortable. I've got to want it with everything that I have within me. I've got to have courage, and I've got to press into the kingdom of God. You can understand it two different ways. These guys think that they're going to abuse these wandering Jews and use them any way that they want to and punish them for uh, daring 
um, to, uh, to affect their livelihood. But, oh, God's got other plans. The good shepherd has other plans. And so that night, they, they beat them. They give them to the jailer. The jailer puts them in jail, puts them in irons, um, puts them in, uh, and, and I think, like, Paul and Silas are so beat up. Have you ever been this way? Like, you're so beat up, you're so bruised. Maybe you've had an accident or fallen down or, you know, or something like that, and you're just in so much pain you can't sleep. You lay down, you can't get comfortable any way possible. And I think maybe that's what happened with Paul and Silas is that they're in the jail, they're in chains, they're, they can't get to sleep. So what do they do? We might as well pray. We might as well worship, you know. Might as well share the joy a little bit. And so that's what they started doing. It says the other prisoners heard them. It made a point of saying that, okay? Because what follows is really important that the other prisoners know that there's two guys in here that either they're really crazy or they're really powerful. And there's something going on with them. It says about midnight, there's a huge earthquake, and I don't know if it's due to poor building materials or what, but all the doors to the cells open up. And when the, uh, when the jailer sees what's happened, he pulls out his sword, and he's about to kill himself. You know why? He's going to save the Romans the, the trouble. And not only that, probably his family would be killed for this too. If he lost all of these prisoners, and all of them were not like Paul and Silas. Some of them were really probably bad, bad guys that should have been in jail. And he knows that if he loses these guys, he's going to be put to death. So he gets his sword out, and miracle of miracles. Now, the earthquake is a miracle. Amen? The fact that the earthquake opened all the doors and all the prisoners are still there, that's an even greater miracle. And Paul cries out to him. Now, Paul suddenly is in charge, I guess. Paul cries out to him and says, don't kill yourself. We are all here. So those prisoners that heard them uh, singing at midnight, they may not have known what was going on, but when they saw that earthquake connected to that worship, they're staying put in their places. Because they are not, and Paul, Paul is staying put in his place. And why is he staying put in his place? Because the Philippians didn't have him in jail. God had him in jail. Just like Israel was not in capture, captured in Babylon, you know, God had him in Babylon. God sent them to Babylon. God had him in jail. This happens later in Paul's career. Stick with me for just a second, okay? Later in Paul's career, um, he's traveling back toward Jerusalem, and over and over again, he's, he's prophesied to that when you get back to Jerusalem, they're going to put you in, in jail, they're going to put you in chains, and they're going to they're send you, uh, they're, they're going to put you on trial. And they keep telling him this. When he comes to Ephesus, they're weeping. They, on the beach, as he's going back to Jerusalem, they're weeping, and they're saying, don't go. And Paul says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? He said, I'm fully ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm fully ready because he said, I go to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit. We are in no prison whatsoever. We are under no obligation and no bondage whatsoever except to Jesus Christ. And from the outside, that may look like bondage, but from the inside, it looks like an exhilarating, wonderful, meaningful, purposeful, eternal life. So Paul's staying put. Philippian jailer comes to him, didn't kill himself, comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? And now that, that, that word saved, I'll tell you a little story. When we, when we had youth camp um, years ago in my dorm, um, I was doing a little Bible study and I, I wanted to get the, 
let the, the guys uh, have a chance to kind of talk a little bit. And I said, we're going to go around the room and everybody share how you got saved. Okay, so this one was talking about, you know, at a previous summer camp he had gotten saved. And this one was talking about, um, you know, when uh, in Sunday school he had gotten saved. And it comes around to this one kid, and I didn't know it, but this kid, it's like he'd never been to any kind of camp, never went to church or anything like that. And he started telling this story. He said when he was two years old, he was in his bed at home, and his mom had gone next door, and a guy broke in, and he was going to kidnap him. And his mom um, saw what was going on and got the guy that lived next door to come, and the guy came and beat that guy up and chased him off. He was telling me how he got saved. You see, we lose, we, like saved is like Christianese. We use that term, but we don't realize that that's exactly what. And so what is the Philippian jailer asking him? He said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do so that the Romans won't kill me for the prison being opened up? Or what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm amazed at how many times in the Bible that question comes up unsolicited from people. Like God's not begging them. <laughs> They're begging him. He said, what must I do to be saved? And, and Paul said, you be baptized and your family will be baptized. So the guy takes him back home. Suddenly, the guy is their nurse, their doctor, you know, their physician. Like his job no longer is to keep him in bondage, but it's to bring him back to health from some of the stuff that he himself had done to him, you know, irony. But this, this, that's God, you know. The great shepherd has, has, uh, has come between the wolves and the sheep. And that's not the end of the story either. Um, the last one is uh, the kingdom of God is established. So they, uh, they go back to the jail. Morning comes. They go back to the jail. Nobody has any idea what's fixing to happen because they still think, you know, that these guys, we just need to chase them out of town. And they go back to the jail, and uh, the, uh, some underlings, some, you know, uh, some, uh, you know, foot soldiers come back to the jail and they say, hey, you know what? Uh, it was our bad, um, you guys can go. And Paul's like, no. This is a corrupt system. You guys think that you're in charge, and you're fixing to find out that God is in charge. Because God has done an earthquake. God has cast out a demon from a little girl who was sorely oppressed. God has saved a, a, you know, the, the prisoners that were in this. God has done all of these things, which is far beyond your power, by the way, and you are not going to let, we are not going to let this thing go under the carpet. We are going to expose this corrupt system for everybody to see. Paul said, if they want us gone, let them come and escort us out. Now the judges, who ever heard of a judge doing this? The judge goes to the jail, and the judge has to walk them out, and everybody in the city, and it's a big city, and it's an influential city, goes out, takes them out, lets them go. And then they say, okay, now you can go. Lo and behold, they don't head for the city limits. They go back to Lydia. And they kind of hang around for a while, and they encourage the saints. And then in their own good time, not because they were sent by somebody else and not because they were, couldn't wait to get out of this ordeal, in their own good time, they leave the city. Now, let me just point out to you, TCF has a story. And some of you know, hopefully most of you know, kind of what our story is, how we were established. I was just telling somebody this past uh, week how TCF was established. There was a Baptist pastor that got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he got disfellowship from his church in, in Waco and, you know, felt like that God was telling him to come to, you know, to Tyler and all of this. 
and I don't know, you know, for sure what her religious background is, but she was a little bit, you know, like, that's a weird story. Listen, that's our story. That's our story. And I'm sure the Philippians tell this story over and over again. How did this church get started? Boom, here's how it happened. Paul had a vision. He came, and Lydia, you know Lydia, you know, one of the leaders in our church, you know, she was one of the first to be converted. And you know this little servant girl that you see here? She was once sorely oppressed by a demon. Paul cast the demon out of her. And you know our elder, you know, uh, um, jail man? You know, that's why we call him that is because he was the jailer and his whole family had gotten saved. This is the story of the Philippian church. And they can never look at the Philippian church as just some kind of, you know, civic organization. It's something powerful, something beautiful, something wonderful that God has established. Okay, and I'll conclude with this. Every step of this was orchestrated by God. But listen, God needed a willing participant. Now, Paul, as I said, Paul had lots of experiences in his first missionary journey. He knew how some things worked. God had an intention. He had something that he wanted to do, and he wanted to spring, bring this gospel out of Asia into Europe to the whole world. But he needed a willing participant. He needed a man. You know, Jesus... One time Jesus, when Jesus was heading for Jerusalem, his last time, this is the last journey to Jerusalem, he had already told his disciples, his apostles, I'm going up to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again on the third day. He had told them this ahead of time, and they're heading for Jerusalem. And on that journey, some guy stepped, Jesus, some guy, you know, was, was before Jesus, and Jesus said to him, come and follow me. And that guy said, um, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said this. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Sometimes Jesus says some things that just seem, you know, really legalistic and really hardcore. But look, Jesus is heading for Jerusalem. He's only days away from being crucified. You don't have time to go bury the dead. If you go bury the dead, you miss the boat. If you want to be there with him when he's doing what he's doing, you have to go when he says to go. And he said, come. And he invited him, that guy to come just like he invited his apostles to come. That guy could have been one of the great leaders in the early church. But no, he let something else come between him, even if it's a legitimate reason. Paul would not let something come between that call and his response of yes. He followed. He had already counted himself dead. He had already given himself over to the Lord. He already knew that sometimes these things end with death and sometimes they end with deliverance, but I'm not going to miss my chance. I'm not going to miss my chance. You guys, we don't have a lot of time. And the opportunities that are before us in the weeks and the months and the year to come will not come again. There are some doors that are open to us now that will not be open. They will not be open forever. They probably won't be open, you know, after this. It's urgent. That's why Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Not because he's un uncaring. It's because it's too urgent. It's too urgent to miss. For that church to be established, for those people to be set free, for the gospel to travel into Europe,
So I'm going to pray for you as we close. Let's stand together. Give you an opportunity for me to pray for you if you want to. We're going to sing a chorus. And then, uh, and then I'll dismiss you. If you're here today, you may have the same question that the Philippian jailer had. What must I do to be saved? And maybe this is something that's been rolling around in your mind and in your heart for a while. Listen, that is the most important question that you can ask. It is the central question of life. What must I do to be saved? And there are some things that you need to do. And the most important is to believe in Jesus Christ. Stop running. You can't outrun him Stop putting it off. Stop saying tomorrow. Stop saying, you know, before I die. You don't know when that's going to happen. And you have a limited amount. You have limited hours, limited breaths on this earth. Don't put it off another day. The second question that I hope that you're asking is what, what, what do we do? What does TCF do? This morning in the Sunday school class, um, Pam, is it Pam? Pam asked the question. He said, she said, so what? She doesn't know us. She's you know, she's uh, here teaching a class. And she said, so what is your church doing to reach the, um, uh, the poor and the homeless in Thailand? Anybody want to answer that question? Because there was not an answer in the Sunday school class. And we are doing some stuff. But we should never be caught flat-footed when somebody asks us, what are you doing? How are you making a difference in your community? I'm not saying that we're not. I'm just saying that 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 moment in that Sunday school class and me sitting in there too didn't have a ready answer to that. We need to have a ready answer to that. What must we do? What must we do as the body of Christ? What must we do as believers? What must we do as brothers and sisters to take this wonderful experience that we have had and that we have together to bring it to a lost dying world. Let's worship for a minute and then I will be dismissed. If you want prayer, you come and I'll pray. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together worthy. All together bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Oh, you're wonderful, Lord, for better is a one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, and thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, and thousands elsewhere. Oh, better is one day in your courts, better is one day elsewhere better 
day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Thousands elsewhere. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. You are, Lord, altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful. We have not drank deeply enough, Lord, of the cup that you have offered us. We've had a taste. Oh, God, we want to we become a fountain springing up to eternal life. We don't want to drink lightly, Lord Jesus. And we don't want to just quench our thirst, Lord, but we want to be a water fountain, Lord, springing up to eternal life to others. I pray, God, that you would find the same spirit in us, Lord, that you found in Paul and those disciples that went with him to Philippi, Lord. The same urgency, Lord, the same selflessness and courage, uh, the same trust in the shepherd, Lord, not looking at themselves as sheep, but looking at themselves as sheep with a shepherd, a good shepherd, not a hireling. Oh, God, send us out, Lord Jesus. I pray that every single person here, Lord, and every single person that is hearing this message, Lord, would find a place, Lord, to serve where they are a fountain springing up to eternal life. And I especially pray, Lord Jesus, that you would put us in dry places, dry regions, Lord, places, Lord, that desperately need the gospel and desperately need what we have. Thank you for it, Lord. Lead us, Lord Jesus, to broken lives. Lead us, Lord, to those that are in bondage. Lead us, Lord Jesus, to those that are oppressed. Set the captives free, Lord, to have the, the poor have the gospel preached to them, Lord. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.